namo tassa bhagavato alahato samasambuddhasa namo tassa bhagavato alahato samasambuddhasa namo tassa bhagavato alahato samasambuddhasa buddhang dhammang sanghang namasami Uh, this evening for the Dhamma talk, I was going to expound on the, the quick way to gain deep meditation and to gain the stages of enlightenment. And I think many of you will have figured out that uh, the Buddha did say there was a fast way. And that fast way depends upon the strength of the, the five indriyas these five uh, controlling faculties. And when those controlling faculties are weak, the Lord Buddha said that it would take a long time to gain depth in meditation, to gain uh, the brightness of wisdom, and to gain the freedom of liberation. And as such, if we really wish to, uh, as it were, to increase the rate of our progress, and it's good to focus on the, the five indriyas. You probably all know what those five indriyas are. The first is sada, faith or confidence. There is virya or energy. There's sati, this uh, mindfulness. There's samadhi, the ability to sustain your attention, to focus on one thing. And there is panya, wisdom. These are the five indriyas. And one should focus on these from time to time to make sure that each one of these is strong. These are the engines which power the mind towards enlightenment. If any one of those engines is weak, then it means that the progress is slow. (coughs) And sometimes people like to point out what is the most important of those indriyas. This evening I'm going to focus on the most important at this time, which is sada, faith, confidence. Because that is an indriya which for many uh, western-born monks, nuns, novices, anagarikas, uh, is very weak in their practice. And as a result it takes them a long time to gain either depth in meditation or profundity of wisdom simply because (coughs) of their lack of confidence either in the teachings, the teacher, in themselves, in the meditation or whatever. So what sadha is, faith, confidence, is giving yourself wholeheartedly to the process at hand to the point that distracting thoughts are overcome even though that you don't know that Panya wisdom has not arisen yet there is enough faith and confidence in what you're doing that (coughs) you put yourself completely into that action you give it energy you're mindful sustain attention and wisdom will come in its own course 
sometimes in the middle of a Vains retreat if one hasn't been getting uh, experiential results I don't mean about thinking results, I mean experiencing results those experiential results are the, the heart of wisdom it's not a wisdom from what you work out but it's a wisdom based on your experience you practice in this way, you cultivate the deep meditations and you see what these are all about you see what freedom means you see what bliss means, you see what emptiness means not as a thought or a philosophical conclusion but as pure experience seeing it for yourself and so uh, if one hasn't gained some uh, results then sometimes it's very easy for one's confidence, sadar to wane and that's why that it's even though in a monastery such as this we discourage too much talking it's good to talk about <coughs> the successes which you have in your meditation it's good to talk about the nice things which occur in the meditation because that gives confidence to the other younger monks, anagarikas or whatever who have yet to experience those stages it's the confidence grows when you realize when you hear that other practitioners are actually achieving some of these stages it gives that confidence that these things are actually possible in the time of the Buddha there were many arahats, anagamis there are many people who could attain jhanas there are many people who had even psychic powers and as such it was quite easy to generate that faith, that confidence that this was a path which produced results not just ordinary results but great results which produced liberation both of the mind and liberation from samsara <coughs> so this was something which did create the, the confidence that this is something really worth doing as a, as a teacher for the first few years of a monk's life that you have to try and inculcate inspiration you have to, uh, <coughs> as it were, support the young monks until their experience starts to come and then their confidence and faith is replaced by wisdom or rather, not rather than replaced it's bolstered by wisdom when they start to see that all of the, the hopes which inspiration gives you are actually coming into reality but first of all we have to develop that, that confidence, that faith in the path that this is something really worth doing and in order to do that we do need the examples of people who have practiced many years the people who have walked in front of us on that path and to see the results in their act actions, in their lifestyles <coughs> that's why seeing good monks, good nuns, even good anagarikas is a source of inspiration and hope to those people who visit this monastery because it increases their faith and their confidence that this is a path with truth at its, at its heart this is <coughs> a path which actually leads to something very worthwhile so this is a path which creates that confidence 
But as we're developing that sada, that confidence in the path, we should also create confidence in many other things as well, because this sada, this confidence, becomes a very powerful tool which we can use in many different ways to develop both insight and deep meditation. When we use it to develop deep meditation, we have the confidence and faith that if we sit enough with with mindfulness, following the instructions, that something will happen. We have the confidence to actually put the time in to meditate, to sit, to walk, to be mindful, to be restrained, to have sense restraint. Once that confidence is there, then we find we have got the energy to meditate. We do have the energy to get up in the morning. We do have the energy to continue throughout the day, the mental energy, because we have the confidence that this is going to be really worthwhile, this is going to be useful. But also I like to teach using this sadindriya, this is a faculty of confidence, (coughs) in all parts of the meditation. Having had confidence in the past, to give confidence to oneself. That confidence to oneself is uh, a very important point to focus on in case your meditation hasn't produced results yet. Again, many Westerners, I have found, lack that confidence that they can achieve the very highest on this path. And it's good to give yourself that confidence that as a human being born at this time that it is still possible. Others have done it, you can do it. It's still possible to gain all of those stages which you read about in the suttas. You have that confidence that just as other monks in the past have sat on similar cushions, have done similar things, have faced similar defilements, have struggled with similar problems, that many of them have overcome and surpassed those problems. They've kept on going and they've reached these wonderful, beautiful fruits. They've gained jhanas, they've become stream winners, non-returners, arahats even, in this world. (coughs) Where they once were, you are now. Where they reached, you can reach. With those sorts of reflections, reflections on the arahats of the world, it gives you the inspiration that it is possible. There is no difference between them and yourself. Sometimes, (coughs) sometimes people think that they lack the supporting causes. They have not got enough uh, store of good karma from the past. Their parameters are weak, they think. But to ask yourself that do you know how much karma you've done in the past, both good and bad? Do you know the the strength of your parameters? Have you got those abilities to look back into the past? The psychic power of recollecting past lives and knowing these things? Or is it just an assumption based on ignorance? Sadar confidence gives yourself the benefit of the doubt that you do have enough supporting good causes to achieve the very highest. And indeed you've got this far. Many of you monks, some monks for many years, 
those of you who have just come to this monastery, you've had the good karma to actually come and to a place where you can practice reasonably unhindered. So you should know that you have already got great supporting causes, great good karma and parameters that you managed to come here. And it's not much to think that you may have just that little extra which can <coughs> make you uh, liberate your mind and liberate yourself from samsara. Gaining that confidence, that faith in your own ability to reach the very highest is very important. Those who believe, who have the view that they cannot attain, will not attain. Their view, their belief will be the obstacle. Those who have a lot of faith, a lot of confidence, find it surprisingly easy to attain the very highest. I have noticed in places where other people attain these things, where many monks attain these things, in such places it tends to be easier to attain these things. The reason is that because everyone else is getting so far, we think, why not me? If they can do it, I can do it. It gives that confidence, that encouragement, that faith, in one's own abilities. It's good to focus on the faith in one's own abilities, to see if there's any doubt that one can achieve. That doubt is in itself a hindrance, it's a fetter, it stops attainments. That is why when anyone ever says, I cannot meditate on the breath, or I cannot reach jhanas. I always tell them to add the word yet. I haven't yet reached these things. But never say, I can't. If you say, I can't, then you are putting up the barrier to success, to achievement. That faith has to be in one's own abilities to get to the very, very end, to the very top. That faith also has to be taken away from one's belief in, in thought and activity and control and that faith has to be put in the process. This process of meditation, this process of liberation which I spend a lot of time talking about. The process of meditation which I was talking about last week following the guidelines of the Anapanasati Sutta. The process of liberation according to the gradual training all of these are just processes and if one has faith and confidence in that process that this is something which is going to work then it stops a lot of thinking it stops a lot of controlling as you give yourself to that training as you give yourself to that process much of the, the fighting and the wriggling is again because one doesn't have enough confidence that this is a process which is going to work. It's like trying to get on a bus to go to, say, Sydney. You're not sure whether this bus is going to reach there, whether it's the correct bus, whether it's the right bus. But if you know, you have confidence and faith 
if someone you know very well and you trust implicitly tells you that that is the bus which is going to Sydney, you get on it out of confidence and faith and it takes you there. Have that confidence and faith in this process. And as you are (laughs) meditating, give that confidence and faith to every part of the process. For that process of meditation which I've taught of meditation on the present moment. Give confidence and faith to that present moment awareness. The confidence and faith just to be right now. That confidence and faith is saying that this is useful, this is beneficial, this is going to give peace, this is going to give contentment. You need that confidence first of all. After a short while of resting in the present moment, you'll find that confidence was well founded. It does give rise to these beautiful qualities of the mind. Wisdom will come up, and insight will come up into the nature of the present moment and how liberating it can be. <coughs> and how, how much that one adds suffering onto one's life by lingering too long on the past or going too soon to the future. One has confidence in silence. So often in any of these stages if you have difficulty silencing the mind it's because you have confidence in the opposite. You have confidence in thinking. For many of us we've used thinking for most of our lives. It's been our friend and we think it's been our protector and servant. We think it's provided us safety, it's provided us with happiness, with possessions. We've managed to work things out so far and got here. Perhaps we should continue working things out through thinking, through thought. We have too much confidence in that thinking process and little confidence in silence. That's why it's good to give that confidence, that faith in the silence. Once you deliberately give Sadar faith to the silence, you find it's much easier for the mind to remain silent. You're encouraging the mind in the same way that a young child going to school the first day needs to be given confidence by their mother. Go in, it's fine, it'll be all right. And if the mother or the father gives that confidence to the child, then the child can go into that school freely and stay there. Otherwise, they'll be holding on to mother's arms, crying and screaming, No, no, I don't want to be silent. (coughs) Sometimes that I've used the technique of deliberately thinking to give confidence to silence. Deliberately making a thought (coughs) which says, silence, I trust you, I have faith in you. Silence, that I have sadar, this trust, this faith, this confidence. And by saying that to myself a few times, it's cueing, it's the (coughs) psychological incentive to allow trust in that silence. 
and as soon as that occurs the silence remains and thought disappears. In the same way you can use that on the breath, to have confidence in the breath, to have faith in the breath. Faith in the breath is a beautiful path into the very deep states of meditation. <coughs> if you're taking breath meditation, anapanasati is your path. Develop sadha, faith, in the breath. After many years of developing breath meditation, that faith is accompanied with wisdom. You know the breath is a wonderful, beautiful, powerful vehicle which leads into such happy states when you have either that faith or the wisdom. As it says in the suttas, the mind would leap to the breath. The mind will incline to the breath because it has faith and confidence that this is going to produce great things. If you find it difficult to continue or sustain awareness on the breath, ask yourself if you have real confidence and faith that this is worthwhile. And that confidence and faith becomes even more important in the finer stages of the meditation <coughs> when it's time to leave the breath. To have confidence enough in a nimitta when it comes up. Well, the first time nimittas appear in the mind, often people don't recognize them. Whatever they think it is, it's something else. Basically they're looking for the wrong thing. <coughs> and what they see at first, they doubt. They have no confidence and faith that this can be something of use. So often, if you have confidence, even in the first glimmer of a nimitta, and give it faith, it can actually develop from the power of your faith into something very beautiful and wonderful. The doubt is the shaking mind. And remember the, what I've said about the nature of a nimitta before, it is just a reflection of your mind. If your mind is shaking, so will the nimitta. If there's doubt in this mind which is watching, that being watched will also shake and crumble. In the same way as I said last week, if you look in a mirror, if the one looking nods its head, the image in the mirror also moves. The only way to keep the image in the mirror absolutely still is for the thing watching to be absolutely still. That's what <coughs> a nimitta is all about. So that it does come a time when you have to give confidence to that nimitta. There comes a time when you have to give such confidence to that nimitta that you take away all confidence, all trust, all concern with that which we call the doer. The very reason we can't let go of the doer, will, his last bits of thoughts, is because we have not got enough confidence and faith in that nimitta in the mind. We have been surviving over all these years, over all these lifetimes, <coughs> based on this thing which we call will. This doer, this controller, this protector, this house builder, this will, this doer, 
has been our constant companion that we're not quite sure what it's going to be like when the doer disappears. We're afraid to let go of that doer. The way to overcome that fear is through faith, through confidence. We were just talking in one of the interviews earlier about the monk, the disciple of the Lord Buddha in the time of the Buddha's dispensation when he was alive and teaching called Venerable Wakali who was supposed to be the foremost monk in terms of the faculty of faith. (coughs) And one of the stories about Venerable Wakali in the commentaries was when the Lord Buddha appeared to him floating in front of a cliff and encouraged Venerable Wakali to jump off saying that he would not be harmed. And Venerable Wakali had enough faith in the Lord Buddha that he, even though he had no jhana or psychic powers himself, he did jump off that cliff and just floated there, supported both psychically and physically in his faith in the Lord Buddha's teachings. That was a story in the commentaries. But you can see its use as a metaphor. Here the Lord Buddha, the great teacher, is telling you to jump off. (coughs) Jump off your resting place, your foundation of doing, of will, of even views. Jump off out of faith and you will be supported. So often when you (coughs) leave the last vestige of doing to really merge into that nimitta, it can appear like you're jumping off a cliff, jumping into the unknown. You are very easily, you feel very well supported, have a solid footing under you when you have the will, the doer still there acting just in case. But it takes that confidence and faith to be able to completely jump off chedana or will into that unknown of the nimitta where you cannot do anything where you're supported by the dhamma of jhanas you're supported by the dhamma of the Lord Buddha standing on that and of course you not only float you don't fall and crash to the ground if you let go and have full competence in that nimitta dive into it as it were then it supports you blissfully. Not only does it support you blissfully, it gives rise to enormous wisdom afterwards. Every stage of letting go needs the confidence, the faith, to be able to affect it. (coughs) So these are the the power of sadha. When one achieves these states, even one state of jhana, of course the faith in the Lord Buddha's teachings doesn't get replaced by wisdom. The faith gets increased by wisdom. Once you experience any of these Uttri Manusadhamma they are called, these are called superhuman states. As soon as one experiences any of these states, the faith in the Lord Buddha's teachings, in the Dhamma, in the possibility of enlightenment, in liberation, 
the whole possibility just becomes so clear that one's faith, one's confidence in this whole path, the whole Dhamma increases enormously. As I've mentioned before, every deep state of meditation, every jhana is called, <coughs> rather the, the first jhana, they're called Sambodhi Sukha, Nekama Sukha, Sambodhi Sukha, the happiness of enlightenment, Nekama Sukha, the happiness of renunciation, giving up. They called the footprints of the Lord Buddha. This is where the Lord Buddha stood and experienced. And the truth of the matter is that any person who experiences any of these states is precisely the same experience for each meditator. So when you experience a first jhana or a second jhana, you're experiencing the same state as the Lord Buddha experienced under the Bodhi tree. No different as the Lord Buddha was, you are. This is how you get to understand, <coughs> get a feeling for the mind of a liberated one. This is why these states give you enormous confidence and faith and inspiration. Many people go up to Adam's Peak in Sri Lanka or they go to Paputa Bhat in Thailand or they go to all these other places where they think there are footprints of the Buddha. That might be a footprint of the Buddha but that's a coarse footprint of the Buddha. In the Mahahati Padopama Sutta in Majjhima Nikaya the Lord Buddha called footprints of the Buddha the jhanas. So these things actually is like visiting the places where the Lord Buddha stood and experiencing the, the bliss, the increase in faith of knowing where the Buddha was. You can go to India and visit the holy places there, the four holy places but I prefer to visit the holy places. I encourage other people to visit the holy places inside the mind of jhanas. And if those of you who have been to India, the four holy places there, whatever faith you have generated by going to those holy places <coughs> is not even a sixteenth part of the faith which we generated by developing and visiting the holy places within the mind. This gives rise to immense confidence and faith. And that confidence and faith becomes a powerful indriya, a powerful controlling faculty which will <coughs> propel you even faster on this path to full liberation. <coughs> it will propel you faster as you've seen just one result of this path and you understand the reason behind that result. If this is what the Lord Buddha experienced and it's so fantastic, let's see what else the Buddha taught. And you take on board all of these teachings, whether it's Anicca, Anatta, impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, non-self, you have faith enough, powerful faith in the teachings of the Buddha to investigate these things fully. Can it really be true 
that all things, the whole of samsara is impermanent. Can it really be that true that all of existence is suffering? Even the finer parts of experience. Is it really true that the six senses that we just chanted are all on fire and it's worthwhile having a sense of repulsion towards sensory activity? Is it really true that all consciousness, all forms of consciousness is not me, not mine, not a self? Is it really true as the Lord Buddha seemed to be saying (coughs) that there's nowhere where we can find a self or something belonging to a self not an over-self, not an under-self, not a, consci- not a cosmic consciousness, nothing. Sometimes people find it hard to even contemplate the possibility of such proposals because their confidence and faith is not strong enough yet. After jhanas, the confidence and faith is immense. The very power of that sadhar will be able to accept the Lord Buddha's teachings on faith value completely to explore those possibilities. And it doesn't need much more than the possibility of accepting all these things fully to completely destroy the old views, to see things from this new perspective and to see that this truly is the way things are. The Lord Buddha was speaking from experiential truth. And by seeing that experiential truth of Anicca Dukkha Anatta, that there's nothing stable, that this (coughs) is a process which is falling apart building up again and falling apart with nothing running through from one moment to the next. That all of samsara, all existence, can never find any happiness or any place where happiness can possibly be. If we could only know that fully, where would craving find a footing? Isn't just craving based on the idea that when we get what we want, there'll be some happiness. Who will ever crave for suffering? Who will ever crave and want pain, disappointment, old age, death? These cravings which we all had, we we all have, they're all based on thinking that once we get that object we'll have some satisfaction some peace, when we understand the Four Noble Truths, especially the first one, they will never crave again. It's like an apple. If that apple is rotten through and through, would you ever eat it? Would you ever crave for it? But if that apple has got a rotten part and a good part, then you crave for it. Then you be very carefully, especially if you are very hungry, you cut away all of the rotten part and just consume the good part. This is what most people view life as. An apple which has got its rotten part, but it's also got its tasty part too. 
and we'd spend all of our lives trying to cut away the rotten part and just eat the good part. A good monk keeps cutting away the rotten part until there's no apple left. Completely rotten right the way through. That's called samsara. The dukkha, suffering, just spreads to all parts, all molecules of that apple we call existence. Once you see that, just how thoroughly samsara, how thoroughly the five khandhas, how thoroughly the six senses, how thoroughly existence, how thoroughly consciousness is impregnated with suffering. There can never be any craving left. Once that is seen, once craving has been killed, then you'll be able to say, Kina Jati Wusitang Brahmacharyang Naparang Itatayati, as we just chanted. Birth has been destroyed. The holy life has been lived. There's no more, no more of this anymore. The cause has been uprooted by seeing just the thoroughness in which dukkha permeates the whole of existence. The reason why people can't see that is because they don't want to. (coughs) The power of faith, faith, of confidence, gives the possibility for this to happen. That's why there is that person called the Sadhanusari, the one who practices through faith and becomes a Sadhavimuti, the one who's liberated from that, for that faith. This is the person who has enough confidence in the path, full confidence in the path, full confidence in the teachings, full confidence in their abilities, full confidence in every stage of the training, full confidence in nimittas, in jhanas, in letting go, that they get liberated through that way. They can see the Dhamma, they become stream winners from the power of that faith. There is the other type of stream winner, which is the Panyavimuti. It comes from the, sorry, that's <coughs> not the, uh, the Dhammanusari, the one who goes according to, to, uh, to understanding of, of Dhamma through wisdom. The trouble is that sometimes what people take to be wisdom is no more than their own views. It's very hard to really understand, to know for sure what is wise and what isn't wise, what is wisdom or what isn't wisdom. (coughs) That's why I always follow the Lord Buddha's advice to Venerable Pali about what is Dhamma, what isn't Dhamma. And that advice, just in brief, was if it leads to peace, to calm, to liberation, then you know that's wisdom. Be careful of believing in one's own ideas and thoughts. They may sound good. You may be able to work it all out. You may be even able to find some justification for them in the suttas. But it doesn't mean they're correct. You only know if it's correct if it leads to these beautiful stages on the path. 
leads to nibbida, leads to viraga, leads to niroda, cessation, leads to upasama. Upasama is is just the jhanas. That's why one of the other words for the happiness of jhanas is upasama sukha, the happiness of upasama. This is what these things are pointing to. So if one can develop that degree of faith, then the path is open to you. But of course the other indriyas are also extremely important. But in a sense, they are all uh, predicated based on either faith or wisdom. For energy to get up in the morning, you need to have that confidence and faith that it's worth getting up in the morning. There's something really worth doing. To be able to put forth the energy to practice, you've got to have the confidence and faith it's worth doing. That's why sometimes through inspiration, which is just the, the transfer of faith from one person to another, through that inspiration we get energy to practice. <coughs> and from that energy, we find it's possible to be mindful. When we're dull, when we're weak, sometimes it's just too hard to have that mindfulness. Even like the jhanas are high energy states, they're not low energy states. That's why that if anyone has like sloth and torpor dullness, if the mind isn't bright, if there's no brilliant nimitta, if there's no bliss, if there's no strong experience. There's no way these things can be called jhanas. This wirya energy is necessary. One can develop that energy through the power of faith. When you have, if you reflect on the Buddha, Dhamma and the Sangha, <coughs> the three jewels, if that is uh, a source of faith, that will also be a source of energy. That's why that sometimes if you are tired, <coughs> if you uh, find the energy is very low, you can build up at least mental energy, if not physical energy, through the power of faith in the Triple Gem. You can build up the mental energy in the power <coughs> of uh, faith in the, the great teachers you've known. All of these things can be used to get one's mind bright and happy. And as the mind becomes bright and happy and gets energy, then you find it's much easier to have a sense of a supervisor alert to the defilements in the mind. It's a supervisor which is energetic, awake and alert and also remembers the teachings, is wise. A supervisor who's asleep, a supervisor who's lazy, a supervisor who doesn't really know what he's supposed to be doing, is a useless supervisor. <coughs> such sati, such mindfulness, will never be able to be of use to you. But when mindfulness is supported by energy and by faith, it can become very powerful. <coughs> when I was saying uh, a couple of weeks ago, that what you should strive to do is strive to develop mindfulness. This is one way of striving to develop that mindfulness, that constant mindfulness. 
by developing mental energy. Mental energy from inspiration, from interest on what you're doing. And once that mindfulness is there, then it's quite easy for that uh, supervisor to focus the mind's attention on the task, to sustain attention, to be able to sustain attention on something. Again, you need energy, you need faith, you need mindfulness. To be able to sustain your attention on the breath, you need faith that this is worthwhile, that you can do this, you can manage it. You have faith to be able to let go of everything else and just trust in the vehicle of the breath. (coughs) You need the energy to be bright enough to be fully aware to have that sati there as well. And then samadhi will occur. You use these things first of all and once samadhi gets going it's just like lighting a fire. Once the fire is lit it blazes and sustains itself in this case once there is enough faith in the beginning, enough energy, enough mindfulness, once the Mahdi happens, then the mindfulness gets even stronger. The energy increases and the confidence also increases. This is why it gives rise to wisdom, to understanding. You're actually seeing the path, you're seeing the causes and effects, you're seeing the benefits of just even being with the breath. Just that much, being content with the breath, just as it is now, just that much. (coughs) Don't crave for too much, for for more. You'll start to see in all aspects of this path, even in the aspects of meditation, this microcosm of samsara, you see that as soon as you crave, that suffering arises in the mind and the peace, the uh, freedom of meditation gets destroyed. When you get to a state of a beautiful breath, and stop craving for things, just let go. Have faith in the process, just to allow the mind to open just to that beautiful breath, to be at peace with that beautiful breath, not wanting anything more, not expecting a nimitta, not looking for a nimitta, not trying to drag in a nimitta, not craving for a nimitta. Because all those cravings are going to destroy whatever peace you've got so far. Craving is the cause for suffering. Letting go is the cause for liberation. So have that wisdom. Have that faith. And then see what happens. And you find that (coughs) trusting in that faith, trusting in that wisdom, the mind lets go. Liberation in all its degrees starts to occur. Small liberations first of all giving you more faith and more wisdom that bigger liberations can happen soon. And once you get on that path finding what it's like to liberate the mind even a little bit and realizing the the peace, the freedom of that small liberation It's obviously conditioning the mind to go upstream, not downstream. Downstream is 
accumulating, getting more and more, the river getting wider and wider, deeper and deeper, more and more. Going upstream is the way of letting go, liberation, abandoning. You go upstream and the, the water gets smaller and smaller, thinner and thinner, less and less deep, till you come to the, the source, the spring. Then you just go beyond that spring and there's nothing. And this is actually one of the similes for the path of letting go. <coughs> and this is what one is learning how to do. So this is just a, a way of dealing, of uh, cultivating these five indriyas, these five controlling faculties. When they're very, very strong, things happen fast. When they're very, very weak, sometimes you can practice for years and years and years and not get very far. It is because of these controlling faculties. I was told by our president who likes to look at the internet, that jhanas are becoming quite popular, the in thing on the Buddhist web pages. Even to the point that some people in America, of course, have started talking about drug-induced jhanas. They are looking for the fast way to get jhanas, the easy way. And of course, that is the fast way to get jhanas, not through drugs, but through cultivating these five indriyas, making them strong and powerful especially sadhar, faith and confidence. So that's all which I have to say this evening on the Indrias. Is there any questions which anyone would like to ask? Thank you.